0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America
1: One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy Tuesday to you. This will actually be the last show I do before I get on a plane tomorrow and head to the Dominican Republic for Thanksgiving. I mean, not really. I'm going to the Dominican Republic because uh, a couple of my good friends are getting married and they chose a destination wedding. Fortunately... I don't have a whole lot of family to go do Thanksgiving with, so sure, I'll do it. Last couple of years, I've actually been playing in a couple of softball tournaments in Fort Lauderdale the last two years, so this will be a nice change of pace. Later in the show today, by the way, we're going to be speaking with Sean Harris, who is running to unseat Marjorie Taylor Greene in the 14th Congressional District. A little bit about him. He uh, spent 40 years in the military, retiring as an Army Brigadier General. He and his wife, Carla, have five kids, four grandkids, living in Rockmart. They run a grass-fed cattle farm, uh, and Carla is also a family doctor there. Let me give you a taste of his rhetoric.
0: Now, I am a veteran, and I strongly believe that those of us who have served our country have a really good idea on how to hold a democracy together. Would you all the veterans in the house, do y'all agree with me on that? We know how to support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. It's going to be okay. And guess what? Even today, some people are doubting, but we're gonna change that doubt and we're gonna win this thing. Well, I just retired out of the military after 40 years. I retired as a Brigadier General from the United States Army. I joined the United States Marine Corps when I was 17 years old. I've actually served in combat. I've led in combat. And on top of all of those things, I've also served in strategic commands throughout the world. Let me just tell you a couple of things. Veterans are struggling every day in our district and I can speak from the heart on this. We should have all of our healthcare right here in our district, right in Rome. You shouldn't have to drive all that distance just to get healthcare. Farmers here in our district are working hard every day and some of them are working two jobs just to make ends meet. So we need to make sure that we're taking care of our farmers so that we can feed our families. We constantly see Marjorie Taylor Greene on TV, and she's always talking about stuff that doesn't matter to anyone here in this entire district or in North Georgia. I say that again because I know with confidence that Marjorie Taylor Greene is probably doing something right now that has no benefit for us here in this district. I'm still trying to really get it figured out what is she actually doing? Is she working to get better healthcare for you? Is she working to try to get affordable housing here for you? And then lastly, does she even care about the veterans? The answer to that is clearly no. You got to have somebody up there representing you. Cause right now, Marjorie Taylor Greene is sitting on committees and not doing anything. This is not a team red or a team blue issue. This is a team Georgia issue. My name is Sean Harris. I'm running for Congress as a Democrat, and I'm gonna send Marjorie Taylor Greene to Greener Pastures. You make that to the bank. So I want you to be with me on team Georgia. I am retired Brigadier General Sean Harris, and I and you together are going to win this thing. Let's go.
1: I'm not going to lie. I just got goosebumps, y'all. That was good. But listen, I'm not delusional. I know that is an uphill battle. I also know that district intimately well. I have mentioned this before. My ex-spouses in-laws still live. In Cedartown, Polk County, been all through Rock Martin, know lots of people there, Rome as well. It's an uphill climb. I would say if he were announcing he's running for Congress to unseat Marjorie Taylor Greene in the GOP primary, I'd, I'd tell you he's got a shot because he has all the makings of someone who could defeat her within the GOP primary. but that's obviously not how he's going to run. He's going to run as a Democrat, and he's going to tell us about the issues that matter to him that align with the Democratic Party. But I'm also going to ask him questions like, so how do you make this sales pitch to a ruby red district and win? It's not going to be easy, but it sounds to me like retired Brigadier General Sean Harris has the chops to give it a damn good try. Looking forward to that conversation, second half of the show. First things first, though, I'd like to talk a little bit about a federal appeals court ruling yesterday that could be gutting the Voting Rights Act, saying that only the Department of Justice, the federal government, and not you or I, private citizens or civil rights groups, would be allowed to sue under a key section of the landmark civil rights law. And uh, we've got a couple of guests that are going to talk with us about that. Uh, a little bit later in the show, we're going to have Michelle McClafferty from Fair Fight Action joining us. But I thought, first things first, Let's go with a friend of the show here. That would be Reverend James Major Woodall. He is author of the book, Wired for Racism, How Evolution and Faith Challenge Racial Idolatry. Reverend Woodall, how are you? I'm doing quite well. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, I, I know we got baby Woodall on the way. and you say any day now? Yes, we, we believe he could be here as as early as this week. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome! And I also saw you were uh, hoping on Twitter that uh, the the Falcons signed Shaq Lawson. I don't know, man. I just you know I don't have much faith in this front office anymore. But we can talk about that off the off the air. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, so let's talk the section two uh, directly gutted by the uh, two to one vote in the federal's appeal court. Uh, your initial thoughts on that. Well, my initial thoughts is, you know, we kind of expected these
2: kinds of efforts to continue after 2013's decision in the Shelby v. Holder case. We, we've kind of anticipated, you know, further attempts to gut what remains of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. What well, we have to remember, this isn't just about, you know, the Constitution or even about just minorities. This, these are about black voters.
1: Mm. And
2: every attempt in addressing the history of of racial discrimination and um, voter disenfranchisement and voter suppression, all of it happens at the behest of the Black voting electorate. And so it it is intentional that as we begin to see uh, Black elected officials and Black voting strength increase over the course of the last several decades, these attempts to roll back the, the ability for the federal government um, through the Voting Rights Act, which has been—I remind uh, the viewers—which have—which has been, you know, renewed and and you know extended for years, mm-hmm. right, going back to Re- Reagan and Gerald Ford and the like. Th- this has been a landmark piece of legislation that has protected the right of Black people to be able to participate in democracy. And so, these attempts to roll this this legislation back or this law back, rather. Um, is a direct assault on those black voters.
1: And with the gains that have been made in recent months in redistricting cases like Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia soon to follow, uh, South Carolina is being eyed, uh, other other areas of the country where the Voting Rights Act have been at least allegedly uh, ignored by partisan gerrymandering, it just seems that the timing of this sort of decision is interesting. Well, it,
2: it's, it's not... The comment the, the is is not really unique because when we think about, you know, the various efforts underway, and, and let me be clear, this isn't a, a, a pro-Republican, I mean, a pro-Democrat kind of, you know, address. This is really a problem that we've seen in states that both are controlled and, and governed by Democrats and Republicans, because mm-hmm. might I remind uh, the viewers is that in New York, th- those maps were overturned, which right. was primarily a democratic you know, establishment state. Mm-hmm. And so it is a problem that really plagues both parties in this country. And until we are able to address the reality that the, Amer- the American democracy does not exist, nor can it survive without the strength of the black electorate, then we're going to continue to see these challenges and we're going to continue to see the disintegration of the uh, franchise in the project called American Demo- uh, Democracy.
1: But that being said, the the, the two to one judgment that, and, and even the, the the prior judgment that led to this appellate uh, ruling, uh, have Donald Trump's fingerprints all over it. Uh, this is a clear attempt by a partisan uh, collection of jurists to disenfranchise voters of color. We're also seeing some degradation in polling, anyway, and we're a year out from an election, so maybe it won't come to fruition. But we have seen a degradation uh, of, of in polling numbers for voters of color in uh, supporting the Democratic Party and the current administration. While the other option is continuing to attack the very right to vote. For sure,
2: but but I, I would almost urge us caution because, in in say, for instance. Cases like Rose v. Raffensberger, which was a case decided uh, on the federal level in Georgia that challenged the at large election method of the Public Service Commission. Mm. That case was decided by a Trump appointee judge, uh, uh, Stephen Greenberg. I happen to be a plaintiff on that lawsuit. Mm. So it, I, I, I don't want to underappreciate the point that we raise about appointees from the Trump administration versus the Bush administration versus the Obama administration, and now the Biden administration, what we have is a a crisis, regardless of who, which administration is responsible, all of the parties are responsible, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are cases in which Obama appointees or, or Trump appointees, depending on where we look at the question, have ruled one way or the other. And so I, I don't want to make it a partisan claim because The reality is both parties are responsible for these these nefarious acts. The other thing I'll raise is that at the end of the day, regardless of partisan affiliation, the reality is that black voters are the ones being disenfranchised. And we've seen the history of that impact and how it really uh, impacts the ability for America to be able to be effective in the world today. And if we are not able to be effective because of lack of participation, we've seen when the when the when the federal government is able and successfully uh, efficient and effective in protecting that right, we see the participation increase. We see you know the amount of of people who come out each and every year and participate in elections. Since Shelby the Holder, those numbers have decreased dramatically year after year, and so that's something we should be we we should be keen on and really par- uh, pay attention to.
1: We're on with uh, Reverend James Major Woodall. We're talking about the Voting Rights Act and the ruling yesterday that seems to be putting in the crosshairs Section 2, which would disable the right for individuals or even civil rights organizations to bring up uh, cases that would have to go through the Department of Justice. Uh, He's also, by the way, the author of the book Wired for Racism, How Evolution and Faith Change Racial Idolatry. All right, listen, I've got about 30 seconds to go here, so uh, I'm going to ask you one more important question because I don't remember it from the last time we talked. Uh, Baby Woodall, what's the name? He's going to be a junior. Oh, I'm loving that. Okay, did you have to talk the wife into that, or was she 100% on board? She's definitely 100% on board. She's Uh, excited. I'm loving that. And uh, prediction for the Falcons-Saints game this Sunday? (sighs) 27-23. Of course. Falcons will win. All right, we're going to need that, uh, yeah, because the defense isn't quite the same without Grady. All right. Reverend James Major Woodall, I appreciate you joining us on The Ron Show. Michelle McClafferty joins us from Fair Fight Action next to pick up this conversation. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Tuesday. By now, you should be, I would think, maybe brining your turkey. If you haven't done that yet, you're going to have to do a wet brine. I learned that by watching a viral clip of Kamala Harris talking to somebody about how she brines her turkeys. Uh, Anyway... Joining me to not talk Turkey, but to talk voting rights would be Michelle McClafferty. She is an attorney for Lawrence and Bundy outside counsel for Fair Fight Action. Michelle, thanks for joining me. How are you?
3: I'm doing well, although now you've sent me into a panic because I've done
1: nothing with my turkey. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, is it defrosting <laughs> at least? we will do right after this. Yeah, yeah. At least get it thawing. And, and again, just look for Kamala Harris's brining technique. It, it sounds delicious. Monday, we found out that uh, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act struck down by an appellate court a panel, a two-to-one vote. And, and while we can look at this as a partisan issue, uh, you know, done, done by Republican appointed judges, is there a light at the end of the rainbow here or, or is this doomsday?
3: Uh, I don't want to be chicken little here, um, right. but this is a problem. It's a problem already for the states in the Eighth Circuit who will live under this ruling until it is further addressed by the full Eighth Circuit or perhaps by the Supreme Court. And it, it's, it's a bad sign if this case does make its way to the Supreme Court because um, we've already seen a great deal of dismantling to Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, and this could really be um, I hate to say a death knell, but uh, cut off a, a very important avenue of redress for voters and advocacy groups.
1: For those who don't know, uh, the Eighth Circuit includes the Dakotas, which I think should be one state, uh, Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, Missouri, and Arkansas. There was an Arkansas case that uh, was the crux of this issue. We've seen voting rights cases in states like Louisiana and Alabama and Georgia and, uh, other states like that in another district where uh, redistricting maps have been ordered after going all the way to the Supreme Court. So is there any reason to believe that if taken to the Supreme Court, that we would have a similar outcome?
3: I don't know that I trust my reading of the tea leaves so much anymore because there's been so much upheaval on what we what we used to consider precedent um, mm-hmm. when it comes to our, our Supreme Court's recent decisions. But um, I will say we've seen signs and what's what has been interpreted as invitations from at least two Supreme Court justices to take up this issue. You know, Gorsuch, mm. Justice Gorsuch brought this up in his concurrence in 2021 Bernovich decision, and Justice Thomas brought it up earlier this year in the Allen B. Milligan decision. So that's at least two justices who are questioning whether this private right of action exists, which is at the heart of this Eighth Circuit case. Um, who else they may win over will remain to be seen, but it's concerning that there appears to have been an invitation for exactly this issue to come to the high court.
1: The decision was to disallow individual or even non-governmental organizations, civil rights organizations, to bring cases up for decision in the first place. Is that correct?
3: That's right. And then this case relates specifically to Section 2, which is a really important part of the Voting Rights Act, because Mm -hmm. it's the part that says we can't have voting practices or policies that discriminate based on race or color Mm. or or being a member of a language minority. Right. Mm. So this is a tool that individual voters and groups like, like our client Fair Fight Action and Fair Fight PAC have been using to make our systems better. Um, And what this eighth circuit decision is saying is these types of suits can only be brought by the federal government. Of course, you know, there are finite resources in every circumstance, so mm. hamstringing the ability of private groups and individuals to to try and bring these cases um, is very concerning. It, it will really have to cut down on how much reform and, and positive pro-voter progress we can make.
1: And as much as I'd like to say that this is a nonpartisan issue, when one party is in control of the Department of Justice, there seems to be a lot more dissonance when it comes to the rights of the marginalized. So it's not to say that leaving it up to the Department of Justice won't yield any results. It's just that when one party is in control, the Department of Justice doesn't seem all that interested in bringing cases like this to court in the first place.
3: Yeah, and, and I would add to that that you, know, as much interest as may exist um, again, there are not infinite resources. Mm-hmm. So the idea that we should just leave it to the Department of Justice to step in where groups like Fair Fight have been filling the gap just doesn't seem practical. These mm-hmm. are long cases. You know, we were in trial last year, spanning three months. We just wrapped another one that lasted three weeks. Like these take a lot of time and money and effort. So I, I just, you know, I do not think it is practical to assume we can get the same results that um, we've been seeing if we don't have private groups able to bring these cases.
1: We're on with Michelle McClafferty with the uh, firm of Lawrence and Bundy. Sorry, my handwriting is terrible. Uh, she's also outside counsel for Fair Fight Action, Fair Fight PAC, and uh, they will be, of course, among the many. I'm I'm, I'm assuming uh, Fair Fight's probably not alone in this in this uh, in trying to. Uh, circumvent or, or, or undo the ruling Monday that seems to target section two of the Voting Rights Act. A- and this again was the eighth judicial circuit sur- or the eighth federal circuit. And while this was an Arkansas case, there are a lot of tribal voters in many of these Midwestern states who could be affected as well.
3: Yeah, no, that's true. Um, and I, I mean, think what our concern is, of course, we're worried about voters impacted immediately. Mm-hmm. We're also concerned about what, you know, uh, A Supreme Court decision upholding this ruling could mean for voters everywhere. Mm -hmm. Right now, there is good precedent. You know, we've had the Eleventh Circuit consider this issue, and they decided in favor of allowing these cases to continue. Mm -hmm. The Fifth Circuit has considered it, and they want to allow these cases to continue. They think the law supports it, but there's a split now, and that's when we likely see things go to the Supreme Court. So, of course, Fair Fight Action and Fair Fight PAC—they are always forward-looking. They are always responding on behalf of voters, and and that's what they're going to do in light of this decision.
1: So what's next?
3: Let me grab my crystal ball. (laughs) Um, So so the decision that came out of the Eighth Circuit this week was decided only by three judges, Mm -hmm. two in favor of disallowing this private type of suit, one in favor of allowing it. With only three weighing in, there's a chance that the decision could go to the full Eighth Circuit for decision, and then from there it could go to the Supreme Court. And as I mentioned before, you know, there's this concern that that the Supreme Court has actually invited it, or at least a handful of the justices have. So that's where everyone is sort of shifting their focus. But I don't want to skip the step that there may be additional action to come out of the Eighth Circuit.
1: Well, I guess we'll all be watching this together. What kind of time frame are we looking for here?
3: Oh, well, it's holiday season. Yeah, so these things um, can move fairly slowly. But I think this isn't the type of case where we have to be worried about an immediate stay. It's not like here in Georgia, right? Where we've had a judge say there is a voting rights act violation. You have to draw new maps and we have to worry that someone's going to fight over like, do we actually have to do it now? Or can we wait until after an appeal, which by the way, we don't have to wait. Our legislature is convening and they're supposed to be drawing new maps, but um, we don't see that sort of like procedural posturing necessarily happening in this Eighth Circuit case, but in terms of providing a a projected timeline, you know, I don't know. Ron, your guess may be as good as
1: mine. All right. Well, I'm going to let you get to brining that turkey. Uh, I appreciate you. M- <laughs> M- Michelle McClafferty joining us an attorney with Lawrence and Bundy, also outside counsel for Fair Fight Action and Fair Fight Pack. Thank you so much for joining us on The Ron Show today.
3: My pleasure. Thanks for having
1: me. Archived audio, blogs,
0: social media, links, and
1: more all in one place. Log on at ronshowatl.com. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Welcome back to The Ron Show. We learned earlier this month that we have another gentleman trying to take on Marjorie Taylor Greene to wrest the congressional seat in Georgia 14 from her clutches. And he is retired Brigadier General, Army Brigadier General, by the name of Sean Harris. He's also a grass-fed cattle farmer and uh, a doting husband to wife, Dr. Carla Harris. (laughs) Did I prioritize any of these wrong? Should we start with Dr. Carla first? That's what I I
0: think you should start with my wife first. She, she's been with me longer than all that other stuff you talked about.
1: Yeah. Well, and I tell you what, there's, there's something to be said for the spouses and the kids and all the supporting family who help out when we've got folks serving in, in our uh, armed forces, whether at home or abroad. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate it.
0: Well, I'm glad to be here, and look forward to having a great conversation with you.
1: Yes, sir. So uh, I watched your campaign video, the launch video, and immediately after watching it, I had goosebumps because I was like, "Man, this guy's it." You, you, you've got the speech part down quite well. Here's my question to you: How do you make this work in such a ruby red district?
0: The way I make it work is very simple. As you know, for the last 40 years, I've, I've been in a inside the military. That's a very conservative organization and a great organization so I I've been working very closely with Republicans and Democrats and independents for a long long time. I uh, have many friends that are Republicans, but in this particular district here one of the things I've learned since we've been running is all of the Democrats and women have have came out and they loving what we're doing and they energetic. Behind the scenes what I've also seen is happening is Republicans does not like what Marjorie Taylor Greene is doing or what she's not bringing anything to the district. So quietly, they have been coming to me saying, hey, Sean, we like your military background. We like your leadership and we are going to get behind you. So I I think that's the way that I'm going to win this thing. It's going to take all of Team Georgia, that's Democrats, independents and Republicans to help me put Marjorie Taylor Greene and send her home.
1: Being the grandson and nephew of Army veterans myself, my grandfather serving in a few theaters of combat, uh, my uncle serving uh, in the first Iraq war, I can appreciate the uh, sacrifice that comes with serving in our military. I've often wondered why it is there is this firm grip from the right on the political leanings of those in active duty military, and those who have already served. And and I ask that question because we're only 22 years removed from 9/11 and the entering the theater of war in Iraq and Afghanistan and seeing two decades later that we got very little out of that as a country that entering Iraq was built on some false premises to begin with. And and I just can't help but wonder why do we still have that mindset in and after our armed forces. Do you have any, any inclination as to how that is or why that is or why Democrats can't seem to make up any ground within our ranks?
0: I, I, what I would tell you, Ron, I think Democrats are just as patriotic as Republicans. I, it's, it's just the Republicans have branded it in a certain way that now it's just baked into the system that they seem to love the military more. What I would tell you is as a service person, service men and women, we just serve the American people and that's all we want to do. We don't get into the politics of it. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is Marjorie Taylor Green is very clear when, when it comes to supporting our veterans, supporting our soldiers, her, her positions are not in a position that says that she's all about taking care of our veterans or taking care of our active duty soldiers. National Guard and Reserve. So, so I think inside of Northern Georgia, when they look at me, I embody what they actually believe in. And, and that's why they get in behind me.
1: And I hope you're right. But I also think it's key to tie her to her friend, former president Donald Trump, who openly reviled veterans who uh, were, you know, prisoners of war, for example, Uh, troops that didn't get caught, uh, calling those who served in the armed forces suckers. I I mean, she she likes to align herself with Trump, so she has to own that as well, does she not?
0: You're you're exactly right. Um, She she has to own everything that she's done for these last two and a half, three years, whatever it's been. Uh, She does not have a strong record when it comes to veterans and and active duty personnel. Only thing I can speak on is my record. Mm. I've served in the military now for the last 40 years. Uh, I was actually enlisted in the United States Marine Corps and rose up through the ranks from the Marine Corps to ROTC at at Tuskegee University, all the way up to the rank of one-star general. Um, and and so that's what I can stand on, and and I can stand and say, okay, I'm supporting every veteran out there. I'm a veteran, and I'm fighting for them to get their benefits on every day because it's the same thing that I'm going through. It's the same thing that they're
1: going through. So. You and your wife run a grass-fed cattle farm, and she, of course, is a doctor. So do you want to talk farming issues, or do you want to talk health care issues first? Where do we go from here? Let's go farming issues first, and then we'll go to health care. All right. So talk to me about where uh, Democrats uh, are, are, are there to support uh, rural farmers and, again, how you as a candidate can work that district to convince farmers who are overwhelmingly voting for the right to open their eyes and ears and minds to what you have to say? Well,
0: I, I would tell you the way I'm doing it is one person at a time, one zip code at a time. And we're going through all the Northern Georgia talking to the, everyone out there. But specifically when it comes to farmers, you know, I'm I'm a part of the, the Cattlemen's Association uh, for Georgia. I'm a part of the Cattlemen's Association for Polk County. So I actually I'm actually in the room as a farmer, as a rancher, listening to the issues just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So what am I doing? I'm looking at the farm bill and looking at it closely, saying, OK, it's a lot of things in the farm bill for, for ranchers and farmers that are actually doing row crops. However, when you come to northern Georgia, northern Georgia is more in the cattle. They're more into um, wineries, those type things. So we need to go back and do some tweaking to the farm bill so that it can benefit uh, the farmers and ranchers here in northern Georgia. And that's one thing that Marjorie Taylor Greene, she has no appetite to do that, no appetite to spend any time on it uh, to help out our farmers and ranchers. And because they see me actually out in the pastures with them, they actually respecting me and coming to my team because they know I'm going to fight for them every day.
1: Also, I would think cattle farmers know bull when they hear it and see it yes, and smell it.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's, we'll, we'll keep this rated G. Yes, yes, they do.
1: <laughs> we are on with retired Army Brigadier General Sean Harris, who has announced he's running for the Georgia 14th Congressional District seat, currently occupied by Marjorie Taylor Greene. So since we're on the subject of farming, let's uh, bow, uh, bow tie this in with immigration because the, the, the underbelly of uh, the dirty little secret in uh, the agriculture industry is that uh, immigrant labor actually has been beneficial to the farming community, but this is another subject that seems to divide folks based on racial or xenophobic lines. And I'm curious where your mind is on America's immigration policy and and, and the way we handle our southern border.
0: Well, I, I tell you, we have to do some more work on the southern border. That's no doubt. Mm-hmm. I agree on that particular issue. However, we should not be alienating people and, and talking about if you're here in the United States, we're going to lock you up and all these kind of things that you hear Donald Trump and, and Marjorie Taylor Green talking about. That's to that extreme. Here, when it comes to agriculture, you're exactly right. Agriculture today depends on our, our migrant uh, colleagues that come through. And we need to continue to do that, to pick all our different fruits, so to pick all our different crops, uh, because right now it is very hard to find everyday people. That want to come out and do agriculture work it is very hard work mm-hmm. uh, it's, obviously it's very hot in georgia so to to get right to the question your, your issue yes i will work to make the border more secure but at the same time i'll continue to work that everyone's here we, we work through the process to get them to be american citizens just let's say talk about in new york where they say okay everybody's welcome i think here in northern georgia uh, you, if you talk to our farmers, they will tell you that they need to have the workers come through and help them with their crops when they are, are coming through. Yes.
1: And, and there has to be an attainable pathway for a, a work visa or citizenship, as opposed to telling them from the get-go, well, you, first, I need you to fill out all these documents and then work through a six to eight year process. Uh, they've got families to, to put food on the table for as well, wherever they may be. And that's just that's just not attainable. It's not sound or rational, and it doesn't help farmers who uh, depend on that labor as well.
0: And I, I would I would tell you, um, and I'm still researching it, but what I've seen, when you see people come through the border, they're not coming through Nord- northern Georgia, okay? Mm-hmm. The, the, the people that are here in northern Georgia have been here for decades. They pay taxes. Mm. Their kids are in school. They're doing all these kind of things. However, they have also filled out the paperwork. They just hadn't got the paperwork approved yet. Mm. So we need to look at our systems and say, figure out specifically for Northern Georgia, people that have been here, people that are working, paying taxes every day. How do we work with them to keep them as productive citizens of the United States instead of trying to scare people and and frightening them that we're going to deport them and send them them back home? Most of them that that have kids have never been into that particular country.
1: But doesn't it also make sense to confess that More than 100 years of foreign policy blunders uh, in Central and South America for this country have destabilized many of these countries that folks are fleeing from. Wouldn't it make sense for us instead of just to say we're going to build a wall and try and keep people out to help restabilize some of these countries in the regions that are affected so that folks who may be coming here uh, running from destabilization, whether it be criminal or economic or both, to want to stay where they are and build their country to make it a better place to live?
0: Right. And I I, take, I tell you, if you look closely at, at the uh, Biden's program, the president's program, that is actually in there. People are actually working past the southern border in those countries you're talking about, trying to make things better so that people would not want to come all the way here to the United States. Most people that are coming up are not coming up because they want to come to the United States. They're coming because of some kind of dangerous situation that's mm-hmm. happening in their country, and they're running away from that. So What we can do, and I know we have, actually with my experience in foreign policy, I know we actually have people that are working in the Southern Hemisphere to make sure that we provide opportunities for people so that they won't have to come all the way up here. So you're exactly right. Uh, The Biden administration is already working on that, but it will take time.
1: Encouraging to hear that. Uh, Retired Army Brigadier General Sean Harris joining us. He is taking on Marjorie Taylor Greene. For the 14th congressional district seat currently occupied by MTG. But of course, you've got to go through a primary first. Right now, I think you're the first and only to announce that he's running, which uh, brings up the next question. Marcus Flowers was the last guy to run. He was uh, quite the campaign fundraiser. Have you two spoken? Do you have his blessing? Is he going to be aiding you in any, any way, shape, form, or fashion? Or do you know if he's seeking to run again? Yes,
0: I, I'm glad you asked that question. Marcus and I are both military men, as you know. That's right. One of the things that I learned from the military: before you go out there on the battlefield, go talk to the guy that was there before. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I did. Before I made an announcement, I actually met Marcus in Cedartown, uh, uh, Georgia, at a McDonald's, and him and I talked about was he going to run. If he wasn't going to run, then I told him I was going to run, and then we talked about if he's not going to run, then how can he support me? And and the answer to that was that Marcus is not going to run. Mm -hmm. He's going to support my Campaign when it's the right time to support my campaign. And from that, we have taken things that Marcus did extremely well and brought that to my campaign. We have brought things that Wendy Davis did mm. to my campaign. And one of the things that Marcus did, yes, he raised a lot of money. When you're running against Marjorie Taylor Green, she has a system now that she raises money off of crazy things of tweets and different things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So so we have taken. What Marcus is doing, has done in the past, and we're looking at how can we raise the money so that we can compete against Margie Taylor Greene. And, and what I would say to that is to all of your listeners, if they would just go to my website, and I, I'm not sure if it's already been said, but my website is seanforgeorgia.com um, that, and, and donate to us, that will help us in our quest to beat Margie Taylor Greene. So that was the takeaway that we got from Marcus. I talked to him all the time. And I and, and we're building a great relationship because Marcus did a great job in his in his time when he ran against Marjorie Taylor Green. And and I I plan to take it all the way to the finish line and, and and actually kick the door in.
1: Well that's good to hear. Now I do want to get in uh, Dr. Carla's good graces and uh turn this conversation over to healthcare. So give us just a second, quick break, and we're back with Sean Harris looking to unseat Marjorie Taylor Green in the 14th Congressional District here in Northwest Georgia. We'll have him when we return on The Ron Show, here on the American One Radio app, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back. Final segment of The Ron Show for today and actually for the rest of the week. You'll get some best ofs Wednesday through Monday as I'm going out of the country for a destination wedding. Oh, yeah, and Thanksgiving, too. I'm joined by new congressional candidate. He's running for the Democratic Party nomination and hoping to unseat Marjorie Taylor Greene in the 14th Congressional District. Sean Harris, retired Army Brigadier General, joins us. His wife, by the way, family doctor. Dr. Carla Harris. So I know healthcare and healthcare access is a kitchen table issue in your household. Uh, again, I'm pretty familiar with your district. My ex spouse's family lives there. Uh, so I've traveled you know, throughout Georgia 14 quite a bit. And I know that healthcare access is tough for those who don't have the best of financial means to do it. So, how do you plan to broaden access for healthcare in your rural part of Georgia?
0: Well, well two things that we plan on doing. First of all, we are identifying where are our gaps? And I'll speak on one of the gaps that we have identified. And I'll use Rome, Georgia as an example. Rome is a great city. It's kind of the hub of the rural part of, of our district, what I would say, northern Georgia. However, if a female is having a baby and it's an issue, right there in Rome, Georgia, they don't actually have the specialists to deal with that issue. And now they have to get all the way to Atlanta, Georgia, or they have to get to Chattanooga, Tennessee. So the way I'm going to work on that, It's just like my wife when she went to medical school. We're going to work on ways to give scholarships to doctors and others, nurses, mental health providers, to give them some incentive to actually come to the rural community and after five or six years with hopes that they'll have roots there and stay. No different than what they did with my wife, and that's why she works now at smaller clinics. She works with people their means may not be as like others. So she's constantly giving back. And that's the kind of program that she came through to help her pay for medical school. So we're going to use that technique on a larger scale to try to bring young doctors, mental health providers to Northwest Georgia.
1: On that note, while we're talking about health care, let's discuss uh, substance abuse, because that is a critical issue facing this country right now. Your presumed opponent has made a lot of noise about fentanyl. And of course, I think fentanyl dovetails well in with uh, border policy. And she fails to mention, however, that most of the fentanyl that comes into this country is brought in by Americans and not by drug cartels or mules or coyotes or whatever. But substance abuse is a problem and it is specifically a problem in the rural part of this country. How would you join in with the rest of the Democratic Party to combat that? And what, what can you bring to the conversation from where you live uh, that can sort of enlighten folks who may be unaware just how bad this problem is? Well,
0: I, um, thank you for that question. I, I would tell you the drug issue is just like everywhere else, but in the rural community is, is extremely bad. Mm-hmm. The way somebody is, is, one, we need to make sure that we bring in experts, mental health. And when I say mental health, because so many times are the drug, person that's doing drugs have so many other issues. Mm-hmm. I'm planning to bring in additional assets to our police department and when I say to the police department that is not to lock people up. Mm. That's to ensure that we have enough police. That's how I'm going to say I'm supporting the police so that we actually have enough police that are out there that's not locking people up but actually getting in front of the situation mm-hmm. and identifying the situation that we can work with others inside the healthcare profession and also into mental health to get these individuals some help. Because right now, when you run, run through northern northern Georgia, uh, you can clearly see that we have a drug issue. Mm. We have a mental health issue. And when I, I've already talked to many police chiefs uh, and police sheriffs inside of the inside of the district of northern Georgia, and they all agree that we got to do something different to get at this particular issue. And it's just the answer is not just locking people up in, in a jail cell.
1: And I think we could posit this two ways. One, I think the uh, defund the police folks had that label thrown on them a little too fast. And unfortunately, what you're speaking of is what I think they were actually looking to do all along, which was to provide resources to local law enforcement so that they could handle situations that cops just quite frankly aren't trained to handle. Substance abuse issues, uh, psychological or mental health woes, et cetera, and so on. But also this is, a, and I'm speaking to a retired Army Brigadier General, this is a national security issue, isn't it? That is exactly right.
0: It's a national security issue. I will also add to this conversation that our veterans are also dealing with this issue. And we have identified that here in our area is no mental health uh, help for them. On top of that, yes, they are connected to drugs and those kind of things. But our VA hospital, at least in this region, is not set up for that particular issue. Mm -hmm. So so what we're doing right now, I'm going around doing listening sessions with the police, with educators, with doctors, trying to get our hands around what is the right thing that I need to be doing. When I go to Washington, D.C. to come back and send it right here to the rural community of northern Georgia to help out this community. And that's one thing that Marjorie Taylor Greene is not doing. She's not listening to anybody in the district. She don't care about the people in the district, and she's just kind of doing whatever she's doing, but it's not for the people in this district.
1: I notice on your website, by the way, at SeanForGeorgia.com, four key issues for you, uh, uh, two of the four, include infrastructure investment for good-paying jobs and expanded broadband access. Those are two things that were greatly enhanced in the infrastructure law that was signed by President Joe Biden. That Mm -hmm. has been long overdue. So Georgia 14 probably gets some of that. But there's more to be done there, isn't there?
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. Northern Georgia is getting a lot of that. For the record, March Taylor Green actually voted against that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right now, it's actually happening, but it's happening very slowly. When people actually try to have better jobs because they have to drive such a distance, they can't do it from home because the broadband is not fast enough. That's something, as Sean the politician, and you already said I'm, 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 I'm in the process of started my cattle ranch. But even at my house, when I'm talking on the phone or trying to do business over the internet, I'm concerned, is it fast enough for this Zoom call? Mm-hmm. So yes, it is moving forward, but I think I need to put a little bit more energy into it to ensure that it gets to every house as quick as possible to ensure that everybody has access to the internet and to broadband. And in addition to that, when they actually, uh, many people go to school. One of the things I've noticed uh, in some of the different school districts, they don't, they go to school four days out of the week instead of five days out of the week. Mm. And that, that Monday that they actually at home, they are expected to do work from home. But if you, if you don't have internet or you don't have internet, that's fast enough, there's going to be very hard to keep up with your studies. So I, I want to make sure that whatever any person in Northern Georgia wants to do with the internet As far as better themselves that they have the access and don't have to go sit outside of a McDonald's to try to get that particular Internet, because, you know, we see that all the time.
1: That's true. Sean Harris, retired Army Brigadier General, running for the Georgia 14th Congressional District Democratic nomination first, and then seeking to take on Marjorie Taylor Greene to unseat her in Congress. Again, the website is seanforgeorgia.com. I will include that in the show notes at ronshowatl.com. Any last uh, statement, sir? Thank you for
0: giving me the time. I look forward to representing the people of Northern Georgia because we're going to win this thing, and I don't have nothing but confidence that everybody's going to get it behind us. So again, Thank you and have
1: a great day. All right, good deal. We'll send folks to that website if they want to learn more about uh, Sean Harris. And if you'd like to donate as well, you can do that. We'll include that in the show notes at ronshowatl.com. Sean Harris, thanks for the time. I appreciate you for joining the Ron Show today. Thank you. I also want to thank author, Reverend James Major Woodall for joining us as well as representing Fair Fight Action, Michelle McClafferty from the law firm of Lawrence and Bundy. You enjoy that canned cranberry. I'll have canned episodes the rest of this week through Monday as well. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you when we get back here on America One Radio or wherever you podcast.